Thanks for tuning in. This is Josh Red. I'm the CEO and founder in Accelerate. Um, thanks to the CMBA for letting us take over the Connect podcast today. Really excited today to have Rob Crispin as a um, guest speaker. Rob's very well known in the industry. Um, doesn't need a whole lot of introduction, but before we get to Rob, thanks Rob for coming on. Um, a little pitch about Accelerate. Uh, first, Accelerate, we're really in the business of helping lenders close more loans. We do that through better borrower engagement, helping you build customers for life. Uh, last week, we launched our new customer for life product that really um, helps lenders engage with the customers and stuff, and stuff more than just email marketing, providing uh, valuable data, things like values of the home, neighborhood statistics. And that's all built into the you know, email marketing platform and also does social media, direct mail, text messages, phone calls, ringless voicemail, really helping you engage your borrowers and build customers for life. Hi, this is Susan with the California MBA, and we just finished our Mortgage Innovators Conference last week, and now we are launched our MortgageInnovators.com website. And this is going to be a site for anyone in the real estate finance industry that is looking to uh, review what technology solutions are out there. We've got uh, categories like acquisition, origination, processing, closing, post-closing, and capital markets. So this is designed to be one-stop shopping for the mortgage industry for uh, new tech needs and anything that you want in the tech space. So visit mortgageinnovators.com and look forward to driving efficiency and progress in the years to come. So without further ado, Rob, thanks for joining us. You bet. Um, you know, I think for those of you who haven't read the Rob Christian blog, it's been around for how many years now? A couple of months. <laughs> been around it's been, it's been around several years put it several. that way yeah a deck is it a decade now going on a decade usually a decade it actually started before that uh but very informally uh back uh you know early 2000s and then in 2008 that's when it started to pick up a little bit of steam uh, yeah no definitely it's uh as people that's what people go to the industry right now they get uh industry news what's going on so really treat to have you here uh, to be able to give us some updates. So since you're here, um, you know, the biggest question that most people have that, you know, I think that you get a lot of is what do the rates look like? What's the secondary market look like? What's going on with the CFPB? So I think we can maybe start with rates. You know, I, luckily for us in the industry, we've gained a couple hundred basis points of pricing back over the last, you know, 30 days. We're still down 250, 300 basis points from where we were when the market had really, you know, bottomed out. So what, you know, what do you see with rates? And also, also ask the question, question about inflation. Like, you know, where do you see that affecting us in, with rates? Gee, direction of rates. If I if I known you were going to ask me that, Josh, I would have brought a a coin to flip. Uh, you know, a couple of months ago, uh, given uh, the election and, and so forth, and, and the Democratic swing in, in politics, uh, a lot of people were saying rates are going to go up throughout 2021. And here we are in you know, early, mid-May, uh, and they did go up a little bit, as you mentioned, uh, a month or, two, month or two ago, but they've come back down. And I think it's important for people to think about why, why rates are moving at all. Uh, we have the stimulus to pay for, uh, and the stimulus packages uh, and aid packages have caused a, uh, a fear of inflation. 
so there's some some thinking that things are going to be uh, uh, yeah or I should say pr prices are going to be inflated going forward now we haven't quite seen that as much as some people thought um, there is inflation in some areas of the economy uh, but but the uh, the feeling is that when the pandemic winds down uh, and I guess uh, what about a third or 30 or 40 percent of the U.S. population has been vaccinated at this point. Um, people are going to want to spend, and they're going to go want. Uh, they're going to want to stay. You know, in the Marriotts, they're going to want to eat at the local restaurants. They're going to want to go to Disneyland, which uh, uh, opened a week or two ago. And so there's this pent-up demand uh, for goods and services. Uh, you know, I don't know the last time it's probably been. Uh, well over a year since I bought a new pair of socks or a necktie or a you know a dress shirt. Uh, so there's pent up demand out there, and, and that is thought to cause inflation at some point, um, but it's not quite there yet. And so I think the market got a little bit ahead of itself uh, a month or two ago when when rates moved higher. But uh, re regardless of the uh, administrate administration really we know at some point we're going to have to pay uh for the stimulus that that is out there uh and uh through revenue which mainly comes from taxes so there's you know the feeling that taxes are going to go up and so forth and so on but in in general i would say there's more pressure on rates to move higher through the year but not dramatically so and in fact uh my daughter uh recently bought a house and she got a two and three quarters 30-year fixed rate loan uh and so what's i mean two and three quarters you know if, if rates are really three percent or lower uh there's not a lot to complain about and so um uh rates may tend to go higher that's that's where uh people are putting their money on higher rates throughout the year but they uh uh, they're still they're still doing their job and helping borrowers and so forth. But yeah, we could expect to see a little bit higher rates as 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 the year goes forward. That makes sense. I think the from the borrower perspective, um, <clears throat> you know, it's it's the rates like you said, two point seven five percent. It may not be two and a quarter, but it's below three percent. That's an you know that's an unbelievably low interest rate, right? There's just you know it's hard to argue against that. That's a you know a low interest rate, right? Um, no, it's, it's and it's and people. I think loan officers who uh, uh, realize that will be will be better off in the long run. Frankly, when you talk to a loan officer who's been in the business for you know many many years, and they'll tell some story about rates being 10, 15, uh, you know, 20 percent when they got started and so forth. Um, but it seems like, regardless of interest rate environment, keeping a focus on the customer. Uh, and, and retain retaining customers, regardless of interest rate environment, is what tends to uh, tend to help successful lenders and successful loan officers. So, uh, you know, it's nice to talk about rates. You know, where are rates going to go? It's kind of like talking about the weather. It's it's going to rain or not. Uh, you can't really do much about it, but you can kind of prepare. You can just you know go about your life regardless of the weather uh, or regard regardless of where interest rates are. Oh, I think you're, that's right. I think what you said about uh, the loan office, I, you know, as you know, I, I've been in the industry for 22 years. I was a loan officer for like almost four years. And then I started my first mortgage company and trained loan officers. 
you're right. The ones that really understand where rates, you know, what, what's successful. I, I mean, I remember selling seven and a half percent with three points on an FHA purchase. That was what people were, you know, hey, you want the seven and a half percent interest rate? That's three points. It's a purchase. And that was, you know, people were happy. Then I remember people were refinancing to take cash out when FHA had 95% cash out and they were taking seven and a half percent interest rates of three points to take cash out. So there's, you know, there's always a, a market there. But I think what I we said uh, is important. Having those customers and keeping those customers, maintaining those customers is really important. Right? In a down, in a, you know, I think our worst year during the crash of the market, you know, when the market crashed, you know, you know, 10 plus years ago, I think it was like 1.2 trillion in originations. Still a lot of business, right? I mean, right now we're looking at, you know, three to four trillion. So maybe, you know, down year is going to be two and a half trillion. It's still a ton amount of business. So having those customers, making them happy, keeping them happy um, is really, is really important. It's actually important for more than one reason, right? One is keep your customers happy. They're going to close more with you. They're going to refer you business. They're going to be a repeat customers, but they're also going to do something else. They're going to complain less, you know, oh, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, and so that, that's the next question we're going to talk about a little bit is like the CFPB and regulation, you know, Rob, uh, Rob and I are both involved with people's bank. So, you know, I know Rob knows this from a level of, of, you know, when you get complaints, when customers are happy, the regulators seem to, they're happier because you know, if you're making people happy, then you're, you're not doing something wrong. They're happier. But when they start getting lots of complaints, then they want to start looking under the hood. Why are people complaining? You know, that's only so there's so much value in keeping customers happy. So with that, last four years, we saw uh, the CFPB play a smaller role, not have as much power, not be, you know, as funded or authoritized or backed by administration to do, you know, uh, their, what they were originally built to do under the Obama administration. Now, obviously, the new administration, I think there's going to be a recharge in this CFPB and, and some of this regulation. What do you what do you what do you see there? Do you see uh, that taken up? Do you see more fines happening? I mean, how do you see the market reacting to that? Well, we knew that was going to happen with the new administration as well. The uh, uh, Consumer Finance Protection Bureau has certainly gone through kind of a roller coaster in its history. It started off, uh, you know, with uh, with with fangs bared and and uh, all kinds of. Uh, enforcement actions uh, under Richard Cordray, and he was out to uh, make make a name for himself, make a name for the Bureau with a capital B. Uh, and so the market was definitely, uh, I should say, lenders were, and, ser and servicers were, were running scared. And uh, one of the issues back then was that we really didn't know what to expect. And, and we really, you know, they, they could come after an institution uh, arguably, uh, when, even when that institution wasn't quite sure of the rules. And I started to hear a lot, a lot of uh, CEOs and owners say, you know, just tell us the rules, you know, we'll play by them, but, but tell us what the rules are. Last four years, you're right, have been a, a change, a, a welcome change to lenders and servicers uh, because the CFBB became more of an educational tool that took in input from the industry, uh, the CFPB, uh, I don't know if they were exactly kinder and gentler, but there were fewer enforcement actions. And that's probably because of a combination of, they were, they were trying to educate the industry, uh, but also so many lenders and servicers cleaned up their act. Uh, and so there really wasn't, uh, you know, hardcore, uh, you know, uh, 
you know, issues going on, uh, at least that I could see or hear about. So now we have a new administration and uh, the Biden administration has made uh, it very clear that it's pro borrower, pro uh, uh, consumer, pro, you know, the, the little guy, little gal, the little person. And the appointee or the nom nominee has, has echoed that uh, 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 in terms of being kind of more in the uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren camp in terms of uh, 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 big financial institutions aren't necessarily good. Uh, and the little guy, little gal is always going to uh, uh, prevail. And I think we're, we're starting to see that to some extent. Um, uh, you know, uh, foreclo foreclosures, you know, but gee, let's not have any foreclosures until 2022. Well, you know, how does that impact lenders? How does that impact the servicing portfolios that are out there? <laughs> so, excuse me. So the, so the feeling is that the CFPB has, has swung back more toward where it was uh, in, uh, you know, the, the initial years of, of its creation, but I don't think it'll go quite back that far. I don't think uh, you know, Richard Cordray, like I said, set out to make a name for himself and, and collected a lot of uh, revenue through enforcement actions and fines and so forth. And really, you know, if you had, if the, uh, if the CFPB was holding for you on line two, you know, you didn't want to pick up that call. Uh, now, I don't think it's quite that bad. Now, I think there's probably a little bit more of a hybrid um, uh, because, as I said earlier, so many lenders and so many servicers have cleaned up their act. They are doing things in a compliant manner. They are, uh, to, to your point earlier, they are paying attention to the consumer because a lack of complaints uh, generally mean, generally is a good thing. And when they start to hear complaints about a, uh, uh, a particular servicing institution or lender, that's when uh, maybe they start to take notice. So with, with the industry having changed uh, significantly from where it was to, 10 or 12 years ago, where it is now, I think, uh, you know, maybe maybe there are other in the, uh, financial services that the CFPB can focus on rather than residential lending. But because of the pandemic, you know, we'll see, you know, they'll be involved, but probably not to as great a degree as they were before. Are you are you hearing that from your clients that there's a definite uh, fear out there or or a sense that things have changed? Uh, yeah, I, I'm here for some of the clients that they're they're concerned with, and they're you know asking, hey, we really want to make sure can our, our, make double check our marketing's compliant, everything's right like it should be, everything's being disclosed correctly, because you know we're afraid that the CFPB may you know pick up some you know some enforcement actions, and I, I think um, you know it's interesting what you said. It's they're trying to protect the little people, and what happens though, and you know I just saw this. For you know, after the CPB first did what did what they did, it costed it cost everyone actually money. It actually costs the little people when they do too much of this. It does it, it doesn't help the little people. It actually winds up hurting the little people because it makes the cost so much greater for everyone to do these transactions. And people don't understand when you don't let someone foreclose on loans, then what's the service and value of a portfolio, and what's the security risk of owning you know a portfolio of loans if all of a sudden you can't foreclose on them? Those things make drastic impact within makes rates more expensive but you know and guidelines tougher than it mean makes less people be able to afford homes so it's not always you know too much action is too much so i hope you're right about the education because that, that was definitely what we saw at the cpb 
when they first started, they didn't say, hey, here's what you need to be doing. They just said, you know what? We don't know what you need to be doing. We're not sure what you're doing wrong, but we're going to look at enough information. We're going to find something we don't like. And if it's a law or not a law, we're going to fine you and then make it a law. And that was kind of the, you know, that was the action. And, you know, that was obviously, it's not helpful. So I, I'm glad to hear that it's becoming more, or at least it has more education. Because by and large, lenders want to do the right thing. People want to do the right thing. Tell them what the right thing is. And, you know, most people don't want to, bad actors are always bad actors, no matter what, no matter who you have enforcing, they're always bad actors. So tell people what they need to do and, you know, go after the bad actors. I think that's, you know, best for the market. So I have, I have a question uh, and I'm, I'm not here to plug and accelerate necessarily, but does the use of you, have you heard that the use of accelerate uh, and the focus on the consumer act, actually, uh, you know, has the CFPB ever, ever, uh, 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 examined a company that has used Incelerate or come across Incelerate or, or what has been your exposure to the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau? Um, that's a really good question. Uh, I don't, I would have to look back what our customers have potentially been uh, used. I do know this, if, whether it's a CFPB or it's uh, regulators, I know at People's Bank when they use Incelerate, um, we gave access to all the phone call recordings and, and customer logs basically through Incelerate. So there's definitely um, a pickup. And I think that's something that just from a standpoint of customer service, you know, one of the things that I, I, I've read, I read over and over again, you read a complaint and every complaint I ever got and complaints, you know, they complain to the company, then they want to complain to the regulators. They always say something about the problem, but really what is in that first paragraph is, you know what, I called so-and-so and they never called me back, right? I didn't have any contact. And that's like, that becomes one of the biggest chief complaints because now it's like, hey, you're not making me happy. You're not even responding to me anymore. This loan officer's not talking. I'm going to go ahead and make a complaint to the regulators because I have no one else to talk to, right? So first, what we found was by using contact management strategies where you ensured people get called and that was logged and maintained, that helped loan officers and customers, you know, stay informed with one another. So those complaints became less. And then going back through and being able to have a system to go, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and look at every communication that you've had, every email, text, and phone call, and listen to the phone calls, read the text messages, look at the emails that you sent to and from this customer to see if you're doing your job correctly, right? So there was this whole coaching opportunity where, you know, you can, people started coaching. And then ultimately when the regulators say, I wanna see all these calls, I wanna have access to these to be, um, they need to be monitored and we need to look through them. They had access to the calls as well. So definitely compliance has been something that our platform has, has helped lenders with. I um, mean, it gives them the ability to now know all the communication, marketing, everything that's gone to a consumer all in one spot, which is actually, that's a requirement. If you market to someone, you get a loan from a customer, the CFPB can come and ask you basically, how did you get a hold of this person, right? How they talk to you, oh, they went online, what webpage did they go to? What did it look like, right? Oh, you emailed them, what'd you email them? When you called them, what'd you say? That that is that can be as far as a requirement the CFPB actually can request from a lender, and, and not just the CFPB, state regulators, right? The um, you know all the state licensing boards can do the same thing. So it's definitely important for lenders to uh, to have a system to manage that, um, you know, because complaints are you know that's expensive, and you know it's it's not just trying to avoid the um, fine, it's really trying to um, do a good job for customers so you make them happy, you convert more customers, you get referral business, right? So there's like, it's a win-win, you know, at the end of the day by making people complain less and giving them better service. Yeah, I, 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 would, I would agree. It's the it's the companies that, uh, or, or uh, uh, individuals 
who ignore a complaint uh, that run a higher risk than than those that don't. It's just like in life, you know. Uh, uh, gee, I heard a funny noise in my engine. Well, what'd you do about it? Well, you know, I figured it would go away. You know, as opposed to taking it into the shop and having them it fixed itself. You know, hear funny noise. You know, it leads to 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 problems down the road that you didn't uh, foresee. It's better just to take care of these things. That's right. No, that's good. That's that's a good. Yeah, that's a that's a good analogy. You're right. Yeah, it 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 helps uh, lenders in the current and in the future environment. You know, taking care of these things and then. Really, I think the bigger picture is if you're a lender, you have to understand um, that we're in this, you're in the service industry, right? So that's, that's the, and it's financial services, but it's the service industry. So that means we make money based off the service we give to people because we're all selling a commodity right now. I mean, unless you have a non-QM loan, that's only your loan or a jumbo program. That's only your jumbo program, you know, you know, buying larger transactions are, Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, right? That, that, that's where those transactions are. And we're all selling a commodity. So the service is really a differentiator um, for you know moving forward in the market and kind of growing market share. You know, with that market share kind of growth trends, what do you, you know, I, I see something really fascinating about like the housing market. You know, is it is the values, are they gonna go up or are they gonna go down? You know, there's so many different variables with, you know, home prices. One is rates rise. Home prices should come down a little bit because, you know, affordability goes down. Um, inflation, well, maybe we do have some inflation in the market and we're seeing in home values, you know. But then again, is it inflated or do we have a housing shortage? We have a massive housing shortage. So we have all these like contrary things that, you know, would affect home prices. And like you said, flipping a coin, you might need a three-sided coin to, to figure out where how this how it happens. But what do you, I mean... Do you see, let's just ask this, do you see the hyper growth of home prices over the next year or two like they had been over the last 12, 24 months or do you see that slowing down? I, uh, I've, been, I've been bullish on housing for a while. Um, I think the, uh, the, the affordability, you know, rates are still low. Uh, the uh, uh, work, work from home environment uh, has added to that. But even if rates were higher, and even if people weren't working from home, uh, you still have, uh, I think this year I read where uh, nearly uh, 5 million millennials are turning 30. Wow. Okay. Uh, granted, some of them already own homes, uh, but builders right now, when you look at single family starts and existing home sales, et cetera, you know, they're building about a million and a half to 2 million houses a year, all right? You've got, uh, depending on what age range you look at, 70 to 80 million millennials out there. And as I said, about 4 million are turning 30 this year alone. The supply of, of new houses coming in, coming onto the market just can't keep pace. Uh, and so you're running up against issues with labor, land, uh, lumber, yeah. uh, the, the, the price of a permit, um, and so forth. And a lot of areas are, are saying, Hey, not in my backyard. You know, I don't want, I don't want 50 units of affordable housing, uh, in the lot next door to me, you know, so you have a lot of issues out there that I think will lead to continued housing appreciation, price appreciation. I just don't see 
a reason why it would go down. Uh, the I'm, I'm not going to generalize this too much, but last year during the pandemic, the people who wanted to buy homes, uh, a good part of them never lost their jobs. The uh, and instead they sat home and saved their money, and and now they want to spend it. <laughs> they can go to Disneyland, or they can buy you know a nice you know three bedroom two bath house with a picket fence in a nice neighborhood, a nice school district for their kids, they're gonna to veer toward buying that house. And so uh, unfortunately for lenders out there, a lot, a lot of the activity out there is all cash. And the, uh, because people have saved their cash. So you've got a lot of cash that people have saved up who will, would buy homes anyway. Uh, you have millions and millions of them more wanting to buy homes every year and you have limited, limited supply. So I'm I'm bullish on housing, and I think uh, you know I don't know we'll see it going up five or ten percent, uh, but I, I still think it'll appreciate. On the other 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 end of the spectrum, you ask, well, aren't aren't units becoming available? Um, yeah, there is some inventory out there. It tends to get uh, snatched up pretty quickly, uh, and if individuals aren't buying them, a lot of companies, not a lot, but you know a handful of huge companies. Who own hundreds of thousands of single-family homes will step in uh, and buy those. And people always say, "Well, what about forbearance? You know, what's going to happen there?" Well, uh, there's enough appreciation out there that the people who own the houses uh, can sell. But but if you look at the total numbers of people in forbearance, they still don't match the the demand by uh, you know the up and coming home homeowners or wannabe homeowners. So I think the supply and demand equation is is out of whack uh, and almost out of whack no matter what you say. So I'm I'm I think prices will continue to go up. I mean that that's the one thing that drives me to 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 say prices will maintain go up, you know, there, there won't be a dip in housing prices because we just have a I mean a lack of uh, supply. I think it was before the crash um, of 2000, I mean, I guess for me, in my world, I really looked at it like 2006, 2007. That's when the secondary market really started to fall apart. 2008 is when all the banks really got hit with it and everyone knew what was going on. But up until that point, about 2006, I think we were had about 1.2 million housing starts a year, right? And that was about the, the demand at the time. And then after the crash, I think we went down to like 400,000 or something. So we, so we've dug a hole for a lot of years of just massive you know lot, uh, you know not have enough inventory so now I, I do see that that prices will continue to hold steady go up because there isn't there isn't supply i mean you know i just look around if you in people's neighborhoods and stuff it's just normally you see houses for sale signs now i don't see it if i see one it's down and within a day there's a sold sign on it and i'm hearing people saying oh there's 17 offers and one above asking and it's just like you know that's you know the difference is i think to your what you said about the forbearance is the last time we had this type of market where home prices went up and there's all this activity and there was this crash home prices didn't hold so when the forbearance people lost their homes everyone was underwater now people can sell their homes so quickly right so there's there's an out so that won't affect the market and to your point there's more people looking to buy homes than are in forbearance so you know that will that should take care of itself um what what do you think you know how do lenders, you know, as they navigate this, you know, changing landscape of customers and, you know, rates, because, you know, who knows, 
there could be a day we have 10 or 15% interest rates again. That, 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 that could be reality. You know, I know um, the monetary policy changed somewhat at the Fed, and there's now this thought of that, but maybe inflation's not as bad as they thought it was. And maybe they're okay with some, you know, heavy inflation. So that could mean higher interest rates. Um, but that doesn't mean people stop getting loans, right? Because people are still want to buy a house and still want to remodel that house or take cash out to put a pool in the backyard or send a kid to college or pay for a wedding or whatever it is. Like those things still take place. So what do you think lenders, you know, position themselves now? How do they position themselves now for that future? So that they, you know, they, what do they do? You think? Well, I don't necessarily think that, uh, uh, you know, we don't want the California MBA to say, you know, Josh and Rob said rates are going to 10%. Uh, I don't see that happening anytime in the near future. But what I am seeing lenders do is have the product offerings that will take advantage of uh, any kind of interest rate environment, uh, especially an environment where not so much interest rates are going up, but there's continued house price appreciation. So to your point, uh, what, what about uh, home equity lines of credit? What about seconds? Uh, you know, what kind of, uh, for first time home buyers, what kind of down payment assistance program do we offer? Because if rates do go up and affordability does become an issue, maybe more and more borrowers do need some kind of down payment assistance program. What kind of bond programs do we have uh, in, our, in our company that we can offer? So it's not so much Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA uh, kind of thing, especially with Fannie Mae and Freddie. Freddie Mac shrinking their footprint here somewhat with regard to second homes, non-owner occupied loans. But it's like, what kind of non-owner, or I'm sorry, what kind of non-QM in investors are out there? Um, what kind of relationships do we have with those? What kind of relationships do, do our capital markets uh, group have with investment banks? You know, can we do our own securities? And so the execution on the back end, I think is important, but on the front end, Lenders are, are are kind of keeping their knees bent, uh, you know, ready for what might get thrown their way uh, in terms of interest rates. But they're trying to prepare for saying, okay, what about uh, Hispanic or other minority borrowers? Uh, what do we have for that? What do we have for first-time homebuyers? What do we have in terms of uh, affordable housing pr programs that might appeal to that kind of borrower? So they're they're looking around. So they're not necessarily sitting on their hands saying, well, everything's going to be fine forever. Uh, interest rates are going to stay where they are. They are they are looking around at other programs that they can add to their arsenal uh, to help those that, you know, those groups of borrowers. And I think that's very, very important. Yeah, I think that that was good. You know, basically you're saying, you know, towards the end there was lenders that start to figure out how to serve the underserved. Because there there are underserved communities and you know and and lending so those lenders and I know in California and Rob you're in California I'm in Southern California um, you know Hispanic community is you know my is close to half of, half of I think the California population and yet there's not a lot of lenders that specialize in serving that community um, and we see some that do that and they just you know, they do fantastic work um, they grow rapidly their customers love them so that you know serving those underserved because again. We're talking about a service. You're in the industry of service, so if you can serve the underserved, that that that's what that is. And yes, I wasn't suggesting that rates are going to go to 10 or 15 percent. 
thank you for clarifying that. That would be definitely a very scary thing if someone thought that they heard that. No, I, I'm saying it in the analogy as the market overall. You know, that, that the point of it is, I always said there's a right financial product for every market. So it may be a second mortgage, it may be a HELOC, maybe it's a 125. I mean, I don't know if those come back into play ever again. People may, or the 105 or the 110 or FHA actually, people do FHA loans, it's actually, the first FHA loan was actually like a 125 loan. It wasn't uh, an actual home loan, it was the second mortgage 125. That was what it first got built for, if you will. So maybe those come back into play. So, you know, being on the offensive when it comes to looking for a product, staying informed, I think is important. Knowing what's around the corner. So as, as the market's changing, if you're a lender, if you know, oh, this is a new product that may be coming into the market, I need to understand it better. Um, you know, how do I sell that? You know, I think that's going to be, you know, a big important thing. And then making the customers happy, wowing your customers. That I think that's going to be the, the big thing. So last question for you. Kind of a big one, but what, what do you think the biggest challenge is this next you know, eight months, the rest of this year, what, what do you think lenders really need to focus on right now or what do you think they're going to be facing? Uh, you know, it, it could be, unfortunately, uh, uh, right sizing. Uh, I think that if rates stay here or creep higher, uh, the volume is going to be down. And, and, you know, the MBA, who, uh, and I respect the economics team quite a bit at the MBA, uh, they predict that the purchase business will pick up dramatically in 2021. Uh, but you're still, uh, you're still dealing with an environment where so many borrowers have refinanced and they may not be in the mood to refinance again or may not make sense. So we are going to see a decline in volume. And it's easy to, as a manager, to go out you know, and hire people either in your footprint or hire, you know, underwriters anywhere where you can find them. When it time when it comes time to cut back, and, and those cutbacks might be uh, because just the market has slowed, or because technology has has uh, stepped in and helped. Uh, whatever it might be, scaling back personnel, especially because that's such such a huge cost that lenders have. But scaling back personnel. I think will be very, very difficult for a lot of managers and a lot of companies. It's it's no fun whatsoever. So I think that personally will be a um, a big challenge for a lot of people. What what are you hearing out there? I think I think what you just said is probably right. You know, um, it's not that the mortgage companies aren't excited about the future and making lots of money. But they're just now looking at okay. So last year we just threw as many bodies as we could at the problem. And you know, really, what's interesting is you know. Lenders weren't really necessarily trying to do things differently to become more efficient last year. They were like, you know what? I don't want to slow down. Just throw bodies at it and just do the same thing over and over again. Now lenders are, you know, through the, even before the rates kind of crept up, we're starting to look at this year saying, hey, do I need this many people? You know, is this the right amount of people for my staff? What can I do? What tools can I use to um, be more efficient? You know, how do I go from having six people look at a file to five people look at the file to four people you know how do i get you know a processor from closing 25 loans a month to what what are the tools i need to put in place so they can close 40 loans a month you know how do i get my loan officer from handling you know closing five loans a month how can i get them so they can handle and close eight loans a month you know become more efficient and then obviously the 
the right size will probably be, you know, like it is in this industry, a little bit of, you know, it's, it's going to be the bottom 10% usually. So maybe the people that weren't given the greatest service to customers, didn't know the product, weren't, you know, weren't doing that the job as efficient as everyone else. So it, it can be helpful, I think, for the industry. But I do see that that's that, that's a focus. If I was a lender, I, I would be, I would have been focusing on that last year, right? I, yes, throw more bodies at the problem, but forget just that's not the the, the easier solution is how to become more efficient in what you're doing. Like what can you do right now with your systems? I mean, shop yourself, shop yourself as a customer, right? Apply for a loan, see how the process is, so you understand what it looks like. Then shop yourself as a as a loan, right? Make sure you understand the every step the loan goes through. You know, from the senior team, your CEO, understand what's going on, and you may find, wow, why do we do this this way? Why do I have this person fill these boxes out, and then I have to wait for this person to do that, and then you know, here's all these errors. You may find things that just are redundant you know, aren't needed and, you know, then become more efficient. That's really, you know, help. obviously our software helps with that, right? So our lenders use a lot of our software. What we have seen, um, I've seen a big increase in processors now coming on our platform over the last year. So not just loan officers that use their CRM, but the processors use the CRM because if the processor interacts and talks to the customer, they need a system to help them manage that. And our platform has been doing that. So we, we have been seeing an increase in operational people coming into our software and those you know, lenders are now leveraging the technology just to make them more efficient, manage queues better, SLAs better, task management and so forth. So I think that that is a great place for lenders to start right now is how to be more efficient. Look at it as, you know, just that. How do you become more efficient? You know, and, and the people that are with you, they actually they make more money. They're happier. They make more money because now, you know, they're, they have more loans to work on and they're being more efficient. So that's a good that's a good one. Well, Rob, um, any other last thoughts before we uh, turn it back over to the CNBA? Uh, any jokes? No, just keep, just keep that. <laughs> Where's the cat? No cat. I haven't seen the. I haven't seen Myrtle. Uh, Myr Myrtle's. Uh, I think Myrtle's out. I don't know, catting around. Uh, no final thoughts other than just keep helping borrowers, and uh, and uh, the rest will take care of itself. Excellent. So. Hey, Rob. Really appreciate your uh, time. Uh, Dustin and everyone at the CNBA, thank you for letting us uh, take over the podcast today. And uh, you guys all have a great day. Here we go.